it's a real privilege, and I mean a privilege, to have Austin speak. You know, you see him up here, and he does a fantastic job leading music. He's doing a great job working with our teenagers. But I get to know Austin behind the scenes. He's a man of character, conviction. He really is a thinker. He really knows his theology and has deep convictions. And so we're excited that uh, one of the things we get to do is just encourage him with the gift of teaching and letting him teach us. So this is a man who needs no welcome. I'll just turn it over to you, Austin. I guess I need no welcome. Okay. <laughs> well, then, I see how it is. <laughs> well, thank you, Aaron. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, so I, uh, I want to uh, preface everything with... Um, we're going to be lamenting once again. Uh, so if you, if you uh, remember back in uh, July, I had the privilege of preaching three times while uh, Pastor Ed was on sabbatical. Um, he was doing a, a, taking a time of rest, a time of study, a time to spend with his family, and it was uh, fantastic. And um, in my opinion, he, is, he has come back and he is better than ever. Um, and so I thank God for the, the study that he that he had and the, the time that he spent um, in the Word, getting to know um, Scripture better. Um, but I'm actually going to be continuing in the series that I started back in July. So maybe eventually we'll get through the entire book of Lamentations. Uh, it's, it's only four chapters, five chapters. Uh, so it's, uh, but it's my privilege to, to be preaching uh, from this text once again. Um, and so to give a little bit of background, just in case um, you forgot from a couple months ago, the first sermon uh, that I preached in Lamentations was about sin and how sin leads to suffering. We saw the city of Jerusalem abandoned and desolate, the prophet Jeremiah looking at the city and seeing the awful, awful conditions. Uh, next, the next week, we looked at the sorrow of sin and the, the sorrow that sin brings. We saw the, the city acknowledging their own sin and then appealing to God for compassion and for vindication against their enemies. And lastly, we looked at the judgment that comes from sin. That sin brings God's judgment. We talked briefly also about the will of God and the different types of God's will, the uh, decretive, the preceptive, and the permissive will of God. But today, uh, we're going to be looking, we're going to be still in, in Lamentations 2. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Lamentations chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 22, I decided to add three more verses, so um, it won't be through uh, verse 19. Hopefully I will still stay within the time frame um, that I need to. But let's read our text this morning, Lamentations 2, 11 through 22. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. 
They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of, this, of the city. As their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss. They gnash their teeth. They cry, we have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we longed for. Now we have it. We see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried out, or their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see with whom you have, with whom have you dealt thus. Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned us as if to a festival day, my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. Um, quite a uh, continuingly depressing passage of Scripture. Um, and it's uh, the, the subject here that we're going to be looking at specifically is tears. Now, tears or weeping, or crying, can be a very interesting subject. Now, there's some people that don't shed a tear no matter what, hardly ever. They're not ever really touched deeply enough to shed tears over anything, or maybe they just don't feel comfortable showing emotions. But some people have the ability to turn them on or off like a faucet. Unfortunately, there are some people who use tears to manipulate others. They get them to do what they want, even though their tears aren't real. Now, in our text today, Jeremiah reveals the reason 
for his tears and his sorrow. And if you're following along, um, there are blanks on your, uh, your sheets. Uh, I don't have slides today, so listen very carefully. Um, but we see that Jeremiah is a firsthand witness, again, of these deplorable conditions in the city of Jerusalem. He's telling us from a firsthand account what he saw, and these tears that are shed are because his heart was broken, not only because of the conditions of the city, but because of the sin that was committed. Now let's go uh, before the Lord in prayer this morning. God, I just pray uh, this morning that you would open eyes to see the truth, that you would open ears to hear the truth of your word, that you would um, use um, the words that I speak to bring your word before your people this morning, that I would be faithful to the scripture and Lord, um, that you would just help me to uh, convey this message concisely. And um, Lord, that you would stir hearts this morning to repentance. Um, Lord, to, uh, to those uh, who are, are far from you, I just pray that, that you would use this to, to bring conviction to their hearts. That they would turn back to you, Lord, that they would uh, repent of their sin and that they would follow you in obedience. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I just pray that um, this morning your Holy Spirit would lead us, would guide us in every single moment, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first point on your outline should be Tears because of utter devastation. Tears because of utter devastation. Now we see that in verses 11 and 12 in our text, that the children, the children were suffering. The children were suffering. In the King James Version, it actually says, My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured out upon the earth. Now, very interesting wording of that. But back in that day, the liver was thought to be the seat of passions as we see the heart is today. The pouring out of the liver upon the ground meant that they were in utter despair. And Jeremiah could no longer restrain his emotions. He was literally sick to his stomach at the conditions that he saw, at the sin that his people committed, turning to false gods. In verse 11, it also says, for the destruction of the daughter of my people, which indicates that this destruction of the city was finished. It was complete. He wasn't witnessing it happening. He was seeing the aftermath. The temple, homes, the army, the entire nation, their wealth, food, everything was destroyed. 
And that's why there were tears flowing. That's why we see such anguish from Jeremiah. Now, something um, that I think we can all relate to is that nothing touches our hearts quicker than hearing about children who are hurting or suffering. It's, it definitely touches me, uh, it, and it did before uh, Norn was born, but even more so after. I think of um, many of the, uh, the, the school shootings that we've seen throughout the years and how devastating those are. We have our, uh, our boxes up here for Operation Christmas Child to meet the needs of, of children who don't necessarily get everything that they need. And so the suffering of, of children is, is devastating to us. We see that and it, it pulls on our heartstrings. When you hear about war and, and violence, and regardless of, of your, your position uh, uh, either side, when you hear about the, the, the war with Ukraine and Russia and, and children being killed by bombs and, and things like that, it, it, it hurts. It, it's painful. The effects of, of war and famine, we may not know what it's like here, but we see it happen. And it's devastating to us. And Jeremiah was a first-hand eyewitness of these conditions happening. There were nursing children that couldn't get enough food. And they were dying because of it. The results of, of Babylon invading were affecting innocent children as well as those that were guilty sinners. So we see that sin not only affects those that are sinning, but it also affects those that really aren't involved in it at all. And that's how devastating sin can be. Our second point from verse 13 is that all hope had vanished. All hope had vanished. Verse 13, what can I say for you to what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Jeremiah doesn't see any hope. And when someone loses hope, there is often no motivation to carry on. We see, um, unfortunately, the, the numbers of over the last couple years of depression and suicide increasing because people have no sense of hope. And it's so, so sad that there's nothing for them to cling to. Praise God that the hope of Jesus Christ is our eternal hope. But the condition of these people in Lamentations 2 is that of no hope. Everything's gone. People are dying in the streets. And it doesn't seem like there's anything left. 
There's a phrase in that verse, for your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? This is a rhetorical question that Jeremiah is asking, and it's, it's giving the possibility that no one can help them at this time. They basically thought that it was too far gone. Things were just too desperate. And Jeremiah had no words for the grieving women who were losing their children. And so what they did was they created their own gods and the people followed their own devices. Now it's interesting that they rejected God, but they still had to figure out how to fill that void. So people may reject the God of the universe, but they can't get rid of their need for him. So they try to substitute something else. Often we see this in today's world with science, with money, with so many different things that pull our attention away from God. If we reject God, we still have a need for him. And we feel like we need to put something else in that place. But nothing else is going to satisfy. Nothing else. So next we look at the false prophets that rejoiced at Jerusalem's judgment. In verse 14 it says, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. So there were prophets at this time claiming false messages. They were were giving the people these predictions about what would happen that simply would never come true. One example is in Jeremiah 28, the false prophet Hananiah and his predictions of, of peace did not happen. And Jeremiah notes how horribly the false prophets have failed their people. These false predictions of peace, they didn't help them at all. They, they preached that everything is fine, all is well, Keep doing what you're doing. God will bring restoration. But in doing so, they, in verse 14, have not exposed your iniquity. They didn't call the people to repentance. They just let them keep on sinning. And they prevented a chance of repentance for the people of Israel. And it's very similar to prosperity preachers of today who tell people that, You just need to be positive. You need to think positive, and everything will go well with you. Now, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to do a little interactive thing. So um, I was told that um, there's not supposed to be interaction in a Baptist church. But I'm going to challenge the status quo, and um, we're going to play a little game called... Joel Osteen or fortune cookie. 
And so this is all in good fun, um, but I do want you to uh, examine these statements and realize, wow, um, if I can't tell the difference between a Joel Osteen statement and a fortune cookie, what is, what is going on? What is he saying? And so this is just to, to kind of show how silly uh, and, and unbiblical uh, some of the things that uh, false teachers of today like to say and like to present. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to play this game. <laughs> and so um, the first quote, and I do want to, I do want to say that these are taken from actual fortune cookies from Chinese restaurants and actual tweets from Joel Osteen. Um, so the first one is, happiness is not the absence of conflict, but the ability to cope with it. How many of you think that was Joel Osteen? Raise your hand. And how many of you think it was a fortune cookie? All right, let's find out. The correct answer is fortune cookie. You're not responsible for other people's happiness. You are responsible for your own happiness. How many say Joel Osteen? How many say fortune cookie? All right, let's find out. The answer is Joel Osteen. But it's very funny how that could probably be found in a fortune cookie as well. We'll do, we'll do two or three more. Take time to make a difference. Think about how you can make someone else's life better. How many say Osteen? Fortune cookie? All right, let's find out. That was Joel Osteen. All right, we'll do one more. This, uh, this, this is fun because it's, it's pretty much the opposite of my sermon today. Avoid focusing on the negative aspects of the past. How many say Joel? And fortune cookie? Ooh, that's like almost, it's almost 50-50, let's see. <laughs> it's a fortune cookie. <laughs> so I hope, I hope that, <laughs> I know that was, that was silly, um, but I, uh, that, that is uh, just kind of an example of, of how, um, how far from Scripture modern preachers have gotten today. Um, and it's really unfortunate. Um, and, you know, sometimes he'll say things that sound nice. They sound really great. Um, but more often than not, there is no quoting from Scripture uh, there's nothing that has to do with um, the gospel at all. There's no call to repentance. There's, there's nothing about sin. It's all about how can I make my life better. And so these false prophets of, of Jeremiah's day weren't much different than the prosperity preachers of today that tell you just to think positive. God's got this. Don't worry about sin. Don't worry about repenting. Don't worry about obedience. Just be positive. So obviously, this did not work out for Israel because they were positive that the gods they were serving 
were the correct ones, but unfortunately, they were sadly mistaken. So our next point in verses 15 through 17. So not only did these false prophets give Jerusalem false hope, but Jerusalem's enemies also rejoiced at their destruction. They rejoiced at their destruction. Not only do they offer zero comfort for them, but they're contributing to the shame that Jerusalem is feeling. Their enemies are boasting. They're saying, wow, we won. Look at this victory. It says in verse 15 that their enemies clap their hands. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. They're they're rejoicing with this, this weird, sadistic pleasure. Israel is suffering. People are dying. Children are dying. And their enemies are happy to see it. They're, woo! It's, it, it's so, so sad. And still we see that same thing happening today. The enemies of God rejoicing at the destruction of his people. We look, at, um, we look at an issue such as abortion today and how we are fighting so hard for the right for unborn children to live, simply to, to just live. And I, um, I saw a, uh, a short clip of a um, these missionaries, these preachers who go to abortion clinics witnessing to the women walking in um, calling for, for them to not go and kill their baby and they have uh, people right on site ready to adopt those babies And oftentimes, there are protesters there along with them. And there was one woman in particular who claimed to be a Satanist. And um, I don't remember exactly what the sign said that she was holding up, but she she was clapping her hands and rejoicing and saying, yeah, I killed my baby. I'm happy. I have a career now. I'm excited about it. And screaming in the, the faces of the, uh, the preachers, of the missionaries. And again, the stories with, with children and their suffering, it pulls on my heartstrings. And so it's unfortunate to see, but people simply haven't changed since that time. There's a lot of people that that still are enemies of God and God's people. And what they need is for us to show them the love of Christ. Not to try to yell back, 
try to fight back, but to preach the gospel to them, to tell them of the good news of Christ. So we see tears after tears after tears in the city of Jerusalem. Next, we see tears because of heartache. They've watched their children suffer. There's famine. There's ruin. These buildings are destroyed. In verses 18 and 19, their heart cried to the Lord. O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. So Jerusalem is, is crying out in anguish. And Jeremiah is urging these people to cry. To cry out to the Lord unceasingly for their children who were dying. In verse 18, let, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. It gives us this picture of this massive downpour. They were in utter distress because their children are fainting from hunger at every street corner. In the New American Standard, it says, let tears run down like a river day and night. Jeremiah was actually calling the people not to hold in their emotions, but to let them out. See, God has given human beings emotions for a reason. And it's not good to bottle them up. As long as we're not sinning in the emotion, it's actually a good thing. Jeremiah realized that tears and weeping can actually provide an emotional release. And I see it more often with men today but many men today view crying and showing emotions as a sign of, of weakness or unmanliness. And it seems like Jeremiah doesn't, doesn't feel that way. The men portrayed in the Bible seem to have little of any shame about weeping. They feel free to express their, their grief, their pain, as well as joy and gladness through their tears. And honestly, I think it would be a really it would be really good for us to learn from that. That example is is great. Don't hold in the emotions that you're feeling when when you see suffering in the world, when someone sins against you, when you yourself sin and you, you see the pain that it's causing not only others, but the pain that it's causing God. I think it's good for us 
to let our emotions out. And again, we shouldn't be sinning through those emotions. But God gave them to us for a reason. In verse 19, Jeremiah calls for national repentance. He calls for the nation to repent, to turn from their sin. He calls for the people to cry out to God in repentance. In verse 18, he urges them to constantly pray. Now, this devastation that they experienced was, in fact, by the hand of God because of their unconfessed sin, as we, we talked about weeks ago. They were guilty of bringing it upon themselves. And so Jeremiah calls for this three-part appeal for repentance in verse 19. The first is to cry out. When you're in the midst of sin or in the aftermath and you recognize it, you need to cry out to the Lord in repentance. When you see suffering, cry out to the Lord. Now, I'm going to borrow a quote that my father-in-law once saw in a principal's office. And it stated, In the event of nuclear attack, fire, or earthquake, the ban on prayer is temporarily lifted. I also remember seeing uh, a poster in my nurse's, my nurse's office in, um, in high school that said, as long as there are tests, there will be prayer in schools. Now, crying out to the Lord is something that hopefully we just naturally do when we see suffering when we recognize our own sin. Now, when are we supposed to do this? When are we supposed to cry out to the Lord? Well, at any time. In, um, in verse 19, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches or in the early morning. At any point, God is there. We don't have to wait for a specific time. You don't have to wait till you're here on Sunday morning to confess your sin, to, to repent, to cry out to God. You could be driving home from work. You could be laying in bed, not able to sleep at night. Cry out to God for repentance. Next, pour out. Pour out, in verse 19, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Tell God what you're feeling, what's going on. He's, he's there to listen to you. He's not going to ignore you. Our prayer shouldn't be something that's, that's a uh, mechanical thing, that it's like a, um, it's a, well, we've got this, this preset uh, prayer that we, that we have. It should be 
passionate. It should be our true heart before the Lord. Now lastly, this three-part appeal for repentance, Jeremiah says to lift up. Lift up. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children. Now what does it mean to lift our hands? I, I see uh, on Sunday morning very often that many of you feel comfortable to, to lift your hands during, during worship through, through music. And so what is that lifting of hands? Well, it's a sign of surrender to God. It's, God, this is, no longer, this is no longer mine. I'm giving you everything. I surrender my, my desires, my hopes, my worries, my shame. I give it to you, and I worship you. So Jeremiah kind of gives us a blueprint of how we are to go before the Lord in repentance. We're to cry out to him, we're to pour out our hearts, and we're to lift up our hands to him in surrender. Lastly, sin resulted in affliction. Sin resulted in affliction. In verses 20 through 22, Jeremiah urges the Lord to see this awful, tragic state that they're in. As there's dead children. And the priests are being killed and the prophets, the people of God, are violently slaughtered. So in verse 20, we see that this affliction included famine. Now, it's, it's interesting that their, their starvation was so severe that many of them considered cannibalism. They considered to eat their own offspring. And that is one of the most reprehensible things that I could ever think of. But because they were in such dire conditions, that was, that was all they had left to turn to. They couldn't eat the dirt. It says, should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Man, that's a really, really disturbing picture. But this shows us how, how horrible the effects of sin are. That it turns people into monsters like that. The affliction also included killings. Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. So the priests and the prophets were killed in their act of service while they were worshiping God. And the young men and women violently lost their lives 
and the future hope of the city was pretty much gone. So these inhumane activities that were going on brought absolute terror to the inhabitants of the city. I can't even imagine all of those things going on at once. Not only are, is, your, is your city in ruins, there's chaos in the streets, people are dying left and right, people are trying to eat other people because they can't survive, and then the people that they looked up to the most, the priests and the prophets, were getting murdered in their act of worship. All of this gives us a really, really extreme example of how detrimental and awful the consequences of sin can be. Now, obviously, maybe not obviously, but most of the time, our sin right now does not result in such gruesome awful conditions that are laid out here in Lamentations. But somebody's sin did bring that upon them. And so we need to look at this and understand, wow, this is how bad the effects of sin can be. And not only that, because God is merciful, because God is gracious, it probably could have been a lot worse, too. Which I don't even want to think about. So as we come uh, to, to the end here, as we come to our conclusion, we need to understand that we cannot expect blessings from God when our heart is not right, when sin persists. There are consequences for our sin, and those consequences are not good ones. As believers, when you do sin, don't think that God is just unconcerned or, or neutral about it. Sin always grieves his heart. Sin always grieves the heart of God. Now, remember, if you, if you are saved and, and you continuously live in sin, God will and must, by his own character, discipline you. If you are saved and are living in consistent sin, God will and must discipline you. Now, whether you are a believer or not, I urge you to repent of your sin. And if you, if you are not a believer in Christ, I urge you to come to the Lord in salvation today. God is not neutral to the sin that you've been committing throughout your life. 
He detests it. He hates it. But he is so gracious and loving that he sent his only son, Jesus, to live a life that we are not capable of living. He sent him to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life, completely, totally obedient to God every single moment of his life. It's hard for us to be obedient to God for even 10 seconds without our thoughts going into something sinful. He died the very death that we deserve for, for just one sin that we committed, one thought that was against the commands of God. He died the death that we deserved upon the cross, and he bore our sins on himself. He took the punishment, and he calls us to repent. And it's beautiful that on the third day, in victory, he rose from the dead, sealing our salvation forever in him. And all he does is call us to repentance, to turn away from our sin, to put our faith in what he did, in the life that he lived, the death that he died, and that he rose to free us eternally. Now is, is the time. And, if, and if, um, if you've been living a life that is contrary to God's word, and at one time you did profess to be a believer, I urge you to turn back to the God who made you. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, um, as we see uh, these just absolutely um, awful conditions that are, that are presented in, in the book of Lamentations um, as a result of the sin of your people, the people that you loved so dearly, Lord, I just pray that um, you would stir our hearts to realize how much our sin breaks your heart. Lord, I, I just pray that you would help us to examine ourselves this morning, to look um, at the condition of our heart, where our thoughts are. And if our eyes are truly fixed on you or if we've been living uh, a life that's two-faced. Lord, um, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are merciful, that you are loving, that you are good. And Lord, you weren't going to just leave us to rot in our sin, but Lord, you provided us a way of escape through Jesus Christ. We just thank you so much for his sacrifice, for his, his precious, precious blood that covers our sin, that, 
that makes us white as snow. Lord, we rejoice um, for your, your goodness and your grace that you've shown us um, and the joy that we can have knowing that we do have hope, that there is hope eternally in Jesus Christ, that hope is not lost, that we have, we have hope and you have secured it through Jesus' death and resurrection. Lord, we praise you for who you are, and we just thank you so much for saving us from our sin and bringing us, adopting us into your family. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.